following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, and Joy Marshall is going to come and read this passage for us. Thank you, Joy. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with human beings is possible with God. Thanks, Joy. A few years ago, uh, Boston College in the U.S. came out with a survey. It was called The Joys and Dilemmas of Wealth. And they surveyed a range of people in the U.S., and the criteria to be part of the survey was that you had to have a net worth of at least $25 million U.S. dollars. So that cut a few people out. Uh, as, it, as it turned out, of the, of the respondents, the average net worth was actually $78 million. So you're talking about some seriously wealthy people, that's US dollars. And there were some interesting findings. They, they asked people just to reflect candidly on their wealth, on their money, uh, their values in life, their priorities in life, how their money shaped them, how they felt it affected them and their relationships and their future and their goals and hopes and dreams, and just to write about those things in a pretty open kind of way. And they had a number of people write in and do that. And there were some interesting responses among them. Even though the average net worth of the participants was in the tens of millions of dollars, most of them said that they did not feel financially secure. So on average, most said that they would still need a quarter more wealth than they had to feel financially secure, to actually feel like they were, they were secure. Uh, a lot of respondents talked about their relationships and how relationships were affected by their wealth. One said, I start to wonder how many people we know would cut us off if they didn't think they could get something from us. And then one, one guy stood out to me, this response. He seemed to be a Christian guy. He was an heir to a huge fortune, an enormous inheritance. And he said, what matters to him most is his Christian faith. And his greatest aspiration is to love the Lord, his family, and his friends. And then he went on to say he wouldn't feel financially secure unless he had a billion dollars in the bank. <laughs> so maybe, maybe a little bit of a disconnect there, possibly. There's sort of a strange dichotomy there, isn't it, between what, you, what, what he's saying is important to him, his faith and his family and his friends, and then maybe what is actually on the ground going on in his life, the strange sort of contradiction. I wonder whether even those of us that are not nearly as wealthy can pick up a little bit of that contradiction in our life maybe between what we say is important sometimes and then how we actually live and what's really going on with our security. And I think that kind of sums up the problem with this guy that Jesus is interacting with in this passage. The guy that we call the rich ruler, sometimes the rich young ruler. 
Uh, I think that sort of strange disconnect is exactly what he's struggling with between what he says is important and then what's actually happening in his life. So let me walk you through this story and see what's going on in this interesting interaction between Jesus and this guy. We, we never learn his name. We don't know who he is. All we're told about him is that he was a rich ruler. So he's some kind of ruler, probably of the Jewish people. He was involved in a, in a prominent position within the Jewish uh, leadership circles. And he was obviously a man of means, he a man of wealth. He had serious resources. And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus this question. He says in verse 18, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It seems like a bit of a terse sort of response there. Jesus seems like he's been quite harsh with this guy. But what Jesus is picking up on is that this guy is really just using a title of status for Jesus. Good teacher, like you would, you would talk about good rabbi, and there was a way of using someone's status in the hope that they would then return the compliment and use a title of status for you. So Jesus picks up on the fact this guy's just playing games. He's just, there's a whole system of status and rank and hierarchy that's being used here, and Jesus isn't going to buy into it. So he just, he, he moves away from that and says, don't call me good. There is only one who is good, and that's God alone. He's not buying into the, the titles and the rank. But then he goes on to answer this guy's question directly. And he says, verse 20, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. So these are what we call the Ten Commandments. Yes, he's just taken a sample of them, but that's, that's where they come from. Uh, back in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, and that was the foundation of Jewish life, just a very accepted way of living as a follower of God. And so Jesus just quotes these commandments, and he says, this is what God requires of you. This is the life that God requires of you. There's really nothing surprising here. There's certainly nothing that would have caught this guy off guard so far. This is all very standard stuff. And so the guy predictably responds, Verse 21, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So he's a good Jewish man. He's from a good Jewish family. He was raised the right way. He's observed the commandments, kept the Ten Commandments. He thinks he's good. And then Jesus drops the bombshell in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, just one little thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And probably that man looked like all of you do now. Just dumbstruck. Just in disbelief. Like how could Jesus possibly ask such a thing? He was doing so well. And then Jesus requires this incredibly radical step. Sell everything. I mean, imagine if Jesus asked you to do that. I mean, before you're too hard on this guy, just imagine if Jesus said to you, I want you to sell everything you own. So if you own a house, go and sell it. You own a car, sell that. Cash up all your investments. Cash out your KiwiSaver, everything, and just give the money to the poor. Just go and find the poor wherever they are and just give all of that money to them. How would you respond? Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you knew Jesus was going to ask that this morning, how many would, would have come to church? You know, I mean, you, you know, you come to church, a nice, comfortable church service, and then we're going to go and have lunch afterwards. You know, not for this kind of radical teaching. I mean, this is hard stuff, yeah? And that's why this guy responds the way that he does. When he heard this, in verse 23, he became very sad 
because he was very wealthy. That word sad, it literally means to be in pain. Like he was pained by this teaching. This just hit him so hard and so deeply because Jesus was getting at the core of where his values really were, where his identity, where his security really was now. And Jesus is exposing something within his life. And that, that pained him. And he couldn't bring himself to do what Jesus had asked him to do. So Jesus then gives this teaching. In verse 24, he says, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's a really tough saying, isn't it? I mean, that's just really difficult to try and, and, try and figure out. I think the first question is, who is Jesus talking about by the rich? Who does he mean? Because one of the big problems is, when we read this passage, we think he's talking about someone else. You know, we immediately think, oh, the rich, that's those people. That's those others. You know, that's those people that have the yachts down at the viaduct. That's the rich. It's not me. I'm not in that category. So we just breeze on past this passage. We think it's got nothing to say to us. Nobody thinks they're rich, do they? Even the rich don't think they're rich, right? It's like that, it's like that scene from Crazy Rich Asians. You know, where the woman asks her, her boyfriend, you know, is your family rich? He says, oh, no, we're comfortable. We're comfortable. She's like, that's what rich people always say. You know, no, even the rich don't think they're rich. We all just feel, because we compare ourselves with one another. And we compare ourselves with people that are always a little bit better off than us. So we feel hard done by because we don't have the nicer house or, or the boat or the batch or the better car or whatever it is. So we feel, oh, you know, that, that person's rich, it's not me. This is where it's helpful to get just a little bit of global perspective and recognize that compared to the rest of the world, we are enormously rich. We are all basically, everyone in this room, living in a little Western rich bubble surrounded by about a billion hungry people. That's our reality. You know, if you think about it, we, we are inoculated against that by our consumptive culture, but that's the reality. There are still hundreds of millions of people in our world who cannot afford the basic necessities of life, who, who cannot afford to feed their families, and that's got worse during COVID. Millions more people have been thrown into poverty, who can't afford even the most basic utilities that you and I would take for granted, and yet we still whinge and we feel hard done by because we don't have as much as the person sitting next to us. We've just got to remember, we are in a little bubble of wealth. If you earn about $50,000, you're in about the top 5% of the world's richest people. So we need a little bit of perspective. We need to recognize that what Jesus says about the rich is addressed to us. And we've got to hear that. We've actually got to feel the weight of what he's saying and not dismiss it and feel, like, oh, no, he's talking to someone else. No, this is us. This is all of us, and we've got to sit there and take it. So what does Jesus mean then by saying it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? What he means by that is that wealth and money, even though we think these are neutral things, and we earn money and we make money and we spend money and we just think that's, it's, just, it's just money, the reality is money has this seductive, alluring, compulsive grip on our lives. And the sooner we recognize that, the better. We're naive if we don't think that's happening. Very subtly, but in a very addictive way. The more money we have, it reaches in and it gets a hold on our heart. And it starts to attach us to money and stuff 
and material positions and we, and we spend more of our time thinking about how much money we've got, how much money we're making, how much money our spouse is making, what, what, we, what we can do, how we could possibly maneuver to get ourselves into a slightly more wealthier bracket, how I can get more return on this investment, how I can try and screw these costs down so I can get a bit more money over here, or I can specialize here to make more money. And it becomes more and more and more of this compulsive addiction in our heart to the point that money becomes an idol. It becomes a God. None of us think that's happening, but it happens. I think that's really what Jesus is putting his finger on with this guy. I mean, you think about it. Jesus mentions all of these these commandments of the Ten Commandments, but I think what he's saying is there's one commandment that you're not keeping. One of the ten. It's the very first one. You shall have no other gods before me. See, this guy thought he's doing so well and keeping all these commandments. Jesus, look at this. And Jesus, without saying it in quite those words, is saying, yeah, but what about the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. This guy had made a god out of money. And that happens anytime. Money, wealth, stuff is the object of our heart's greatest desire. It becomes our defining focus. It becomes the center of our life. It becomes that which we love more than God. And that happens very subtly. And it doesn't make money itself a bad thing, but it means that it just gets this addictive grip on our heart and we become obsessed with it. And you don't even need to have a lot of money for this to happen. I remember I got my first job and I was just on this meager salary in a public relations agency. It wasn't great money, but I remember after six months, I got my first pay rise. And then after six Another six months, I got another pay rise. And then six months later, I got another pay rise. And this kept happening for two years. And I just started to feel over that time, it's almost, it's an intangible kind of thing, but I just started to feel that grip that money started to have on my heart. You just find yourself thinking about it more. You find yourself just figuring out, okay, if I can get to here, then I can get to that level. And if I can get to that bracket, then I can do this and that. And And it just became more and more of a focus for me. So I became a pastor. Problem solved. <laughs> but it's easy, right? This happens. This happens to all of us. That money just reaches in there. And without you even realizing what's happening, it just starts to get a hold on your heart. Let me just mention a few things that happens when money becomes an idol in our lives. And I won't spend a lot of time on, on any of these, but you just see if you can see yourself in any of these categories. When money becomes an idol in our life, uh, first of all, anxiety increases. So we already live in this anxiety-fueled culture. And some of that, I would suggest, not all of it, but some of that is self-inflicted. Because the more money you have, the more you're going to get anxious about it. The more stuff you have, the more you've got to worry about. The more you gear your lifestyle up, the more you've got to worry about. The more debt you willingly take on, the more you've got to worry about. So sometimes we are the ones who generate this anxiety for ourselves. And the more money gets a grip on your life, the more anxious you're going to be as a person. Secondly, we become more stingy. Do you notice that the richer people are, the more stingy they are? Yeah, of course, we all think that's happening to someone else, not to us. But this is so true, right? It's a weird dynamic. The more people make, the more they seem to grip their wealth with such tight fists and won't let any of it go. We become stingy people. Thirdly, we lose concern for the poor which is a tragedy as Christians because there's a huge biblical theme of loving the poor and caring for the poor. And sometimes we pretend it doesn't exist. We just pretend like those passages aren't in the Bible. 
And mentally, we just rip out page after page after page after page. We don't really care about that stuff. We're too focused on generating my own wealth and my own financial security. And we lose compassion. We lose concern for the poor. Fourthly, our envy of others increases. Have you found this? You know, just be honest. You know, you look at what other people have got. You look at the renovations they're doing on their house. You look at where they get to holiday. And you start, it starts by just being jealous, but then it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Then you start getting bitter. Yeah, do you feel this? You start feeling like, well, what have they done? What have they done to deserve it? I bet they're just really lazy. I bet their kids are terrible. And you start having all these thoughts through your mind, like, where is this coming from? I thought I was a nice person. That's called envy. Envy is becoming bitter when someone else has it better. And it's very, very easy to do. We just have this resentment in our lives now towards other people. There's a sign that money's got a hold on your heart. And fifthly, our self-worth becomes tied to money. And this so easily happens. We live in this hyper-consumptive culture now. This is our reality. So now it's not just that we, we consume things. We are consumers by identity. My identity is in the clothes that I wear. It is in the schools that I send my kids to. It is in the holidays that I take or the kind of car that I've got or the suburb I live in. That's where your identity comes from now. And we wear these things like status symbols and badges of honor, and that becomes our self-worth. It's tied up in all of these things rather than where it should be in our identity in Christ. I don't know whether any of those apply to anyone in this room. Probably not. Or maybe they do. If we're honest, you know, these things are signs that somewhere along the line, wealth has become or is close to becoming an idol for us. And it happens very subtly, but it is deadly. And it begins to take a hold in our life and it shapes us and it shapes our values and it shapes our priorities. It shapes the kind of people we're becoming. And most tragically as Christians, it gets in the way of what God's wanting to do in our lives. It gets in the way of us Becoming people who live for meaningful things and who invest our lives in things of substance and value and character and the kingdom of God. And money just becomes a massive distraction from all of that if we let it. So I know this is a little bit of a tale of woe this morning and we can all feel depressed about those things. But this leads us to where the disciples got to as they asked Jesus this question in verse 26. They say, well, who then can be saved? You know, is there any hope for any of us? And thank God we have these words in verse 27 where Jesus replies, what is impossible with man is possible with God. That on our own, we are helpless because wealth has a power that we often underestimate. And we are so weak. And we're such weak, broken, ill-disciplined people. We are powerless in our own strength to stop it. On our own, it's, it's as easy as it is for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. In other words, it's not just hard, it's impossible And yet Jesus says, but what is impossible with with man is possible with God. And that is as we come honestly to God, he can do a work in our life that begins to free us, that begins to free us from this addiction that we've got to our own money and our own stuff. It's often a painful work and it's a very humbling work, but Jesus is saying, I'm willing to do it in your life if you're willing to entrust all that you are and all that you have to me. And it begins by coming back and simply finding our, our real security in God. And I know that many of us would say, yes, well, I do have that. And I do believe in God and I am a Christian. But I wonder if we can be a bit like the guy in that survey. 
who can say in one breath, yeah, God is the most important thing in my life and my family and my friends. On the other hand, I need a billion dollars in the bank to feel secure. And I wonder if that's, you know, we can kind of snigger at it, but I wonder if that's where a lot of us are. That we can say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'll put my hand up for that. And I believe all these things. And I come to church and I worship God and I say all these things. But really underneath it all, you can be living as a functional atheist. You can be living really as if God doesn't exist in the way that you use your money and your wealth and simply the values and priorities that you live by. And the problem is that we are trying to address this deep need that we all have in our lives for security. But we all have that. That's a basic human need. That's a good need. We, we have a God-given need for security. The problem is we try and find it in our bank balance. The problem is we try and find it in our investments. And all the while, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and worn down by life and anxious about your money. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will show you where your true identity can be found. I will show you where real security can be found. And it's not in an abundance of wealth. And it's not in financial security because you'll never have enough and you'll never think you're going to get there and you'll live in a constant state of uncertainty. Jesus wants to free you from that. He wants to free your heart from that and teach you to anchor your life in something far more solid and far more dependable, and that is the grace of God, the unchanging, eternal grace of God. Can you honestly say this morning, that's where your security really is? Or can you start to see this sort of split life developing? God's saying to us this morning, come back, anchor yourself deeply in me. I will provide all the security that you need, a security that transcends anything that you can make or earn or achieve in this life. That's where real freedom is found. It's where a real foundation is found for a real life. So do you have that foundation? Now then, out of that foundation, there are steps that we can take to begin freeing our heart from this addiction that we have to wealth and money. There's some practical things that we can do. Let me mention just two things. Number one, generosity. And it's really simple. But just simply giving money away. Because we tend to hold on to our money with such tight fists. But when you give money away, what starts to happen is that white-knuckled grip that you have on your own money, it just starts to loosen a little bit. And being willing to give, being willing to give to others being willing to give to the church, being willing to give to mission, being willing to give to great work that's being done in, in communities. This is not only good for the people that we're blessing, it's good for us. Like part of the reason that we're called to give is for our own sake. That's why Jesus wanted this man to give his money away, not just so the poor would be helped, but so this man would be helped. Right? So when you give money away, let's say you give money to an organization like Christians Against Poverty. It's helping New Zealanders out of poverty. So what's happening when you give that money away? Two things. Number one, you're helping to release people from poverty. Number two, you're helping to release your own heart from an addiction to money. And both of those things are important. So you're helping to free someone from poverty and you're helping to free your heart from being addicted to wealth. And both of those things are important. We need to be freed as much as we need to bless others. And in fact, when you have that kind of paradigm, it prevents you from giving money away with an attitude of being patronizing to others 
and being condescending to others and being paternalistic, like I'm going to give you money because I'm a superior person and I'm in a position of influence and I can give to you, poor person, out of my abundance of wealth. That is a power play. That's all that's happening there. But when you realize I need to give money away to heal my heart because I'm totally broken and enslaved to my own money, then you can perhaps give with a little bit more humility, recognizing that your heart needs healing along the way. So you can bless others through generosity and you can begin to detach your own heart from money. So just learn to loosen your grip on your own finances. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. Just allow that the resources that Jesus has given into your life and your family not to be hoarded, but to graciously flow through you to be a blessing to others around you. Find people that are, whether it's people that are in need, whether it's giving to the church, sowing into what God's doing around the world, find those ways and take those steps towards generosity. And you can not only be generous with your money, you can be generous with your stuff as well. You can give things away. So a great example of this, just this past week, there's a woman in the church She's here this morning, but I won't tell you who she is. Uh, and she, this last week, uh, contacted me, and she's got a piano. That She's moving house. She could easily have sold the piano on Trade Me, made quite a lot for it, but she wanted to give it away. And so through a series of connections, we managed to line her up with someone that uplifted the piano on Friday and has taken it to a Tongan family in Auckland who would love to have a piano but were unable to afford one. And so they've got this piano now because of the generosity of this woman in our church. So maybe next time there's something that you're thinking of selling on Trade Me, instead of selling it, what about giving it? Apologies to those that work for Trade Me. I'm sure they're going to still get a lot of business. But what if, you know, instinctively, this is where the rubber hits the road, you know? We can say all these, we have all these good intentions, but are you willing to actually walk this out? What about even though you could get a few bucks for it? Now, I'm not talking about just sending all of your rubbish to someone else just to get rid of it and dump on them the stuff you don't want. I'm talking about good stuff that you could get good money for. But what about having the generosity of spirit to say, is there someone that I could give this to and bless them? It'll be an incredible thing for them and it will do something for your heart. It will just release a little bit more that tight-fistedness that you've got and lead you to be a more open-handed and gracious person who is then able to look to God to provide for your needs a little bit more than you are right now. So generosity. It's a simple concept. can be very difficult to walk out in action, can't it? And the second thing is simplicity and contentment. And that's just learning to say enough. You know, we live in a culture that is driven by words like more, we need more, I need more money. And driven by words like next, I have to have the next thing. I've got to have the next phone. I need the next device. I need the next pair of shoes. I need the next handbag. I need the next video game. I need the next guitar pedal. I need the next car. I need the next whatever it is. Next, next, next. This is the consumer culture that we live in, constantly teaching us to be dissatisfied with what we've got and always feeling like utopia is just one purchase away. Well, that's just the marketing industry at work. That's not a Christian worldview. At a certain point, those of us that are followers of Jesus have got to learn to say enough. 
Don't we, haven't we at a certain point got to be able to say, I'm not just going to let myself be squeezed into the world's mold. I actually want to walk in the way of Jesus. If I call myself a Christian, I want to live this out in my life. And one of the ways we can do it is simplicity and contentment. Learning to say enough. Learning to say, I'm, I've got enough. I can be grateful for what I've got. I can be grateful for what's in my home. I can be grateful for whatever car I've got. And I've got enough. I don't need to just relentlessly upgrade. I can be content. In fact, I can pursue a bit more simplicity than I've got now. I could pursue a little bit of downward mobility, maybe, rather than upward mobility, for the sake of living a life that's not cluttered by an abundance of material things. So let me give you one practical suggestion in this regard, and this is going to be hard, okay, for some of you. Are you ready? Be okay with second hand. I know. I know some of you are about to walk out. But just hear me out. Be okay with second hand. Almost every week that I preach, I'm wearing a second hand shirt. Right? This is not a new shirt. I, I've got a friend who gives me his old shirts when he upgrades his shirts. So pretty much every, every week I preach, I'm wearing a second hand shirt. I'm all right with that. I don't care what you think. I'm fine with this. I wear his second hand clothes all the time. Our kids have worn second hand clothes since they were born, they've worn hand me downs. We've got secondhand furniture in our house, not all of it, but some of it. And I don't say this to make us sound like we are these pillars of virtue because we're not. I'm just saying secondhand is fine, people. Really, you don't need to be so precious that everything you have has to be new off the shelf. Just maybe in one area of your life, could you be okay with something that's not brand new? That might just teach your heart. So, See how much you're struggling with that internally right now? That's a little sign of just the power that money and materialism has got over your life. So let's just allow ourselves to be a little bit more freed from that and a little bit more content with what we've got. Now, I know that it can sound like Jesus is saying all these things because he just wants to beat you up and make you feel miserable. And that's not his intention. It's not my intention this morning. But I think we've got to take seriously. There's a reason that Jesus talks more about money than pretty much any other subject. And he was talking 2,000 years ago. So, you, I mean, he could have said this stuff yesterday and it would be just as relevant to us. Through the ages, Jesus is recognizing there is a problem here. There is an addiction here. There is a compulsive disorder here that often we don't see and it is incredibly deadly. So Jesus doesn't say this because he wants to pour cold water on you and just make you miserable. In fact, he's saying these things because he loves you. I hope you can hear that. I hope you can hear that. I'm, I'm, I'm saying these things with a soft heart because I love you. Jesus says these things because he wants you to be free. Because he recognizes that as long as you're just enslaved to a better standard of living, you, you are just going to be so much less than who God has created you to be. And you're going to miss the true abundant life that Jesus has came to give you, which has nothing to do with your bank balance. It's about being rich toward God, 
not rich in the eyes of the world. And so many of us miss that because we're focused over here on just getting rich in the eyes of the world. Jesus wants to set you free from all that. There is an incredible freedom that comes when you can surrender what you have to God and and say, God, I trust you. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider. I don't think any of us really experience a fraction of that because we just provide for ourselves. But what if you really began to know God as Jehovah Jireh because you became generous of heart and generous of spirit and allowed your own security to be deeply anchored in Christ? There's a freedom that comes with that. I would suggest there's a deeper peace that's available to you than the anxiety-fueled life that you're living if that's largely connected to your resources and wealth and lifestyle. There's a deeper peace and there is a deeper joy that can come of recognizing I don't need to obsess about storing up these treasures on earth. I can store up treasures in heaven. That's where my real hope is. That's where my real treasure is. That's where my heart needs to be. I don't say this as anyone who's got all this figured out at all. I'm on the journey just like you. I think we've got to realize the dangers of our culture, how conditioned we have become by a money-fueled, wealth-obsessed culture to recognize the influence, the corrosive influence that is having on our soul and be willing to start taking some steps in the other direction. Jesus has come to free our hearts from all that and lead us into real life, real abundance, real richness. It's found only in God. After communion this morning, we're going to sing a song, an old hymn called Be Thou My Vision. And let me just read you one verse from that hymn which speaks right into this issue. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. If you can get past the Shakespearean language, there is an immense truth in there. And I think... I, I struggle to say that with a, with a genuine heart and a clear conscience because I'm not there yet, but I desire that. I desire that, to be able to say that honestly to God. You are the first in my heart. You are my inheritance. I don't need any earthly inheritance, God. You are my inheritance. God, be the first in my heart, now and always. Can we pray that prayer? Can we mean that prayer? Can we take a step towards living that prayer out in our life? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to just pray for each person in this room this morning whose heart is still in chains and is rationalizing all the reasons maybe why this doesn't apply to them. I want to pray, God, that you would just reach in and just free their heart. God, just bring healing. Our lives have been so bent out of shape by things of this world and our focus has been so lost and we've been so distracted And we've lost so much trust in you. God, we want to just come back again this morning and just see you as the one who is the giver of all good gifts. You're the one, Lord. You own all the stuff that we have. We don't own it. We're just stewards of it. We're just caretakers of it for you. So God, would you just teach us to find our real identity, our real strength, our real being deeply, deeply, deeply in you. To find freedom in your grace. And then out of that, God, would you turn us into being more generous-minded, hearted people? Lord, free us from just having that 
really tight grip on our finances. Just free us from that, God. Just break through. Lord, teach us to be people of simplicity, people of contentment, people whom others might look at and see something different than what the rest of the world is running after and where the rest of the world places their values and their priorities. Help us to be kingdom people, God. And help us to do all of this not out of any kind of legalism, not to try and earn your love. We already have that. But just out of the gratitude of all that you've done for us and all the incredible riches that you have given to us. Jesus, I think of the verse that says, even though you were rich in every way, yet for our sake you became poor, so that through your poverty we might become truly rich. We pray that would be fulfilled in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.